0: So, every so
1: often, since we've been living here in Amsterdam, you become obsessed with either staying up late all night. And then another thing you used to do is set your alarm really early in the morning so you get up really early. Like like five. Yeah, so like you don't want to miss. Like
2: five or two.
1: Yeah, like you don't want to miss any hours. And why do you think you're not going to have enough time?
2: Uh, It's COVID-19. I could die at any second. Of
1: fussing and falling. Hi, I'm Nalika Radway and this Why is Raising Rebels, together. a podcast about oppressed day day parents you know, raising free children. Today, we're talking about sitting down, like just resting and how we as parents have such a hard time finding space for our children to rest. Um, partially because we have a hard time figuring out how to rest ourselves. I am so excited and honored, um, to be joined by one of my new, like, spiritual guides. Um, (laughs) the Nat Bishop herself, uh, Trisha Hershey. Trisha, can you say hello to our people?
3: Yes. Hey, everybody.
1: How are you? (laughs) Um, so, we like to start the podcast with one word to describe how you're feeling right now. Hmm.
3: Centered. Oh, that's a good one.
1: Ooh, I like how you said it. It's kind of making me feel centered. I'm feeling kind of, yeah, I'm feeling pretty grounded myself. I'm feeling yeah. really grounded also. Like, the light is shining where mm-hmm. I am. Um Yeah, and your voice. (laughs) And your (laughs) voice, it just does a thing. So, yes, I'm feeling grounded, too. So, Trisha, tell the people about yourself.
3: Okay. um, My name is Trisha Hersey, and I am a performance artist, theater maker, theologian, community organizer, and I'm founder of the NAP Ministry. And the NAP Ministry is an organization, a meditation that... Kind of examines the liberating power of rest. Um, we see rest as a form of resistance and reparations. We name sleep deprivation as a, a social justice issue, as a uh-huh. racial justice issue. Uh-huh. Um, we install collective napping experiences all over the country for people to rest. We um, also facilitate immersive workshops, and we also create public art site installations. You know that. Kind of examine and look at rest. So, our main goal is to really uplift rest as a a tool for healing and a tool for empowerment. Tell us about your young person. Oh, I have the most amazing son. His name is Sahim <laughs> the Dream. That is his nickname from birth Sahim the Dream. Uh, Sahim James Potential is his full name. He's 13 years old and he is a DJ and filmmaker and He loves piano. He's also um, a writer. He won the regional spelling bee um, (laughs) in our state back last year. He's um. He's brilliant. people who win spelling beads grow yeah. up to be the coolest
1: people. Like I got so yeah. many people I meet, and I'm like, I really, I really fucks with you. Like I really like you, and they're like, you guess what? Like I, a, I won awesome. a spelling bee when I was in middle school. I'm like, really? Like, it's something yeah. very interesting? He went to
3: the regionals in our state. He was almost going to get to Washington for the big scripts, um, oh. scripts spelling bee. He's amazing. He was spelling words that I was his coach and he was spelling words that I didn't even know what they were. Like part of the coaching was that I looked up the words because I didn't even know what they meant. I hadn't heard or seen most of the words and he could spell them all. He's, a, he's a, He just did a small little film for his school for this, um like, speak your voice day. You can pick like any social justice issue. Mm-hmm. I did not want to feed him because I'm such a social just, justice person. I, I was like, whatever you want to do, I'll do it. I didn't want to feed him my own ideas because I already had 10,000 ideas. I'm like, well, whatever <laughs> you want to do, I'm not going to tell you because I can give mm-hmm. you 15 topics. Just pick what you want and I'll help you any way I can. And so he comes to me one night and he's like, mom, I think I want to do something on reparations. You mm. think you've got some stuff on reparations? I'm like- don't, like my ears popped up like oh i got stuff on reparations so i was like t- typing all these emails i have articles read this he's like can you help produce it i need, you know i need things can you send me you know resources and it's just like i have aisles and folders of resources so it's mm-hmm, like my mm-hmm. just packed like the my parenting dreams have come true my son wants to do a, a piece on reparations and yeah. I want to help him so it's like yes I've done a good job raising him if that's the what he wants to pick so he did this beautiful little short documentary about it so yeah he's a cool um, young man I'm blessed to be his mom.
1: That's awesome I mean it's interesting because um, I was thinking what are your dreams for Shaheen, the dream.
3: Yeah. My dreams for him are that he always remains grounded in uh, who he is and um, he remembers what his name means. His Sahim means warrior in Arabic. And so mm-hmm. always stay grounded and being relentless toward your dreams. He's always been a very relentless baby. He always want, when he wants something, it's going to happen. So I said, if he can pull that into what he wants to do for his dreams i'll be happy i'm also glad that because um you know in our generation back when i was growing up if you would say to your parents you wanted to be something creative they usually talked it down like Uh first i want to be an actor i want to be an okay how are you going to pay your bills Uh what what are you going to do with that you want to go to school to study film that's not going to get you any money Uh but that's kind of the generation um i was i was brought up in that way you know um you got to go to school to be a doctor, a lawyer, anything creative. They talk you out of it. That's a hobby, and I'm I'm so glad that he's going to be raised under um, me and his father's, um, you know, guidance. Knowing that if he says to us, I want to be a filmmaker, I'll be like, When can I help sign you up for classes? You know, like uh-huh, I'll pay for uh-huh, them. And uh-huh, so uh-huh. it's a new. I won't ever talk him down. I don't want him to ever be talked down off of doing something that his heart feels because how will you get paid? To how will you pay your bills on that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how will you get a job you know i don't ever want that to be the end result of anything that he wants to do so that's dope (laughs) i think
1: um so part of what we do on raising rebels um is we start with like a recollection and a recollection is basically trying to push back as far as we can into our memory to think to recall something that happened to us as Young people. Um, Because many times when we think about parenting, we think about it from the perspective of an adult. But really, if we're going to connect and like free our young, like create space that can be free for our young people, we need to think about who we were as children. And so when I was thinking about um, resting and I was thinking about sleep, particularly, and like when I feel my most like able to rest it I something that just kind of just hit me was like I when I feel safe when mm-hmm. I feel like everything is good everything is taken care of I, I'm, I'm I'm okay I'm warm I'm safe I, I can fall asleep <laughs> you know no matter yeah. what and mm-hmm. so I asked you to think of a recollection of a time when you felt safe um and so do you want to share your story with us
3: yeah, I, my story, when I thought about this, it always goes back to um. my maternal grandmother, my mom's mom. And it always goes back to her because she was the center, like most matriarchs, of the entire family. My mother was one of nine children. All of my aunts and uncles, when I was growing up, all lived in the same town my grandmother's house was never locked and it was nine people running in and out of her house, not her children, they're her children's children. And so the house became like the center of um, my mom's world, our world, uh, my cousin's world. And, um, it really was, um, my, my grandmother or was such a loving and grounded and rooted. Um, woman and so her home became where we all hung out and that's really where i felt a lot of safety when i thought of my first moments of safety i felt safety at my home with my mom and my dad of course um but when i think of like i'm always thinking about Mm -hmm. the collective and collective safety and how it was literally would be 30 people at her house during the summer like easily um and it was always my grandmother um holding court in the living room sitting on her yellow plastic covered, um, couch because you have to have the p- covered in plastic, you know, black people are, we're not going to have our furniture being messed up. So there was plastic on the furniture. Of course. Would, yeah. She will sit there with her eyes closed. Um, really meditating i thought we all thought she was sleeping but she was literally just meditating but there was so much noise around the house kids running around us screaming music playing people cooking but through all of that she was able to just sit and have this silence and quiet and she also um was an herbalist and farmer had a farm that she she took over land across the street from her house in chicago um she didn't get any permit. She didn't ask anybody. She was just over there gardening. She had like two acre garden, just full of beans and rice and would be out there every day and having me out there help her. So I really just know being around my mo- grandmother and all of her herbal medicines. I, I watched her heal me from measles. She wouldn't let my mother take me to the doctor. She like created all these tinctures and baths that she put me in. And my brother hurt his foot really bad. Like he stepped on a, um, he stepped on a rusted nail in the garage and on oh, wow. his foot and she never took him to the emergency room. She wrapped his foot up in salt and pork bacon and poured some iodine medicines and wrapped it and he was fine. So my grandmother was like this master healer and herbalist and farmer who pretty much was healing herself, her family, us around her. And so she wouldn't let my she wouldn't let my mother say anything to me that wasn't um positive. My mother was saying, go do something, leave that baby alone, let her do what she wants. So she was really this like center of safety for me. I would lay on her. She had this real soft um blanket, blanket like shirt that she would wear. And she um had these soft arms, and I would just like cuddle in the bed with her all the time, like to the point my mother would be like, Leave her alone. I'm like, you're always under her. But it was like, no this is my love. And you know? mm-hmm. so she had this huge bed. We all would cuddle with her. And we would play on her dresser. She was one of those grandmas who didn't care if you mess things up. We could play on her dresser, smell her perfumes, put them on. She like, put them on. I don't care. You know, she wouldn't be strict about us bothering her things. We could put on her jewelry. She's like, okay, like you look good in it. Like she wasn't this particular person who would be raining with this fist of um, iron. She was just like, Your your kids do what you want. I love you being here, so have a good time. You know there was always respect. You respected her, but she really embraced us as children's exploring. We would come into the house. I remember this day, my cousin and I were um, building a tree house next door in another vacant lot, and we would come in the house like, Grandma, we're um, building a tree house. We're gonna have a kitchen. She's like, Okay, we need hot dogs to cook. Okay, go get them in the refrigerator. Grandma, we need matches okay it's like i'm thinking to myself she literally literally asking her we're about to build a fire in a tree house and she's like <laughs> she, go for it she, she never once was like what are y'all doing we were like grandma we need something to turn the hot dogs over okay go get the tongs upstairs you know was mm-hmm. like, i think to myself would i have given these kids matches would i have mm-hmm. told them how to like start a fire mm-hmm. and create like a barbecue where it's like are mm-hmm. you guys using bricks to make mm-hmm. sure it doesn't be on the ground like mm-hmm. she's teaching us literally how to build a fire. And we're like, okay, we're like 10, 10 years old, yeah. nine years old. And so we, nothing ever happened. We didn't burn anything down. <laughs> she just trusted that we were out there exploring and cooking. So she never once questioned like, what the heck are y'all doing? Why do you want matches? We're cooking. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so that was a, a moment of safety for me always.
1: I think it's so interesting. I mean, it's so interesting. Um, because this idea that you felt you're safest in a, like around in a time or in a space when you look back at it now, like you're like, that wasn't exactly that safe or like right. how you look at, you know, how right. you feel about it. You know, how would you do that with your kid? Or And right. my story that came to me, right when I look back at it too, I'm always like, that's not cool. <laughs> like that's not, <laughs> it wasn't, but it was, it was. Right. And I trusted at the time, I was able to trust my gut versus like anybody else's perception. So um, I was about, I was a teenager. Um, I, I don't even, maybe I was like 15, 14, 15. And um, my poor mother, when she hears the story. So I was <laughs> like after school one day and I went to hang out with a friend of mine, male friend of mine, and I stopped by his house. And when I stopped by his house, there were a whole bunch of other dudes there. Like teen like high school kids, other kids that mm-hmm. I knew. Um, all dudes. And we were like hanging out for a while. And then one particular person um there I kind of connected with. Like Not romantically, but just we just started talking and we kind of got along and like all these things. And he said to me, he was like, well, I'm going back home and I had somewhere else I had to go. I don't even I don't remember the context of all of it. And he was like, if you want, you can stop by my house later and we can hang out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Okay, cool. And later on, we walked I don't even remember, you know, like how memory is. I don't remember all parts of right. it, but I don't know if we walked to his house together or I met him at his house later. It's like we're, we live in, a, in the same neighborhood and near where I went to high school and all of it. Anyway, like I got to his house and we just sat there and we talked and he lived in like a basement apartment with his mother and his brother, who I don't remember if they were home or not home. But mm. we were like in a room together and we were talking. And I remember just looking into his eyes and we kind of like were under the covers talking. And then I fell asleep. Like wow. I completely passed out, fell asleep, um, for took a nap. <laughs> like literally took a nap. <laughs> um, and I think he may have took a nap too. And then we kind I woke up. And I must have gone home, and that was it. Um, yeah. And we remained friends forever. Happens wow. to be the person I'm married to now. A very crazy story with me and my um my Hamaro. And when I look back at that memory and thoughts of it, I always think like, that's the craziest thing, you know. I'm I, <sighs> I, I'm recording. Just, I, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I always think, what the hell was I thinking? Like, what was fifteen-year-old Nalika thinking to feel comfortable in that space? Um, was I stupid? Was I naive? Was I ignorant? Was I like just I just got lucky? And when I look back at it, um, it, it definitely helps that it's a person I ended up marrying, and I know for ever and like Mm -hmm. he is the person I thought he was in that space what I keep coming back to is that like I felt safe and I trusted my instincts
3: I trusted my
1: intuitions and like when I talk to my girls now about what they should or shouldn't do Mm
3: -hmm. I always
1: go to like there's a whole I can tell you all of you know like all of the stuff Mm -hmm. like your grandma's like I can tell you the bricks and I can tell you Mm -hmm. give you some advice Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day go with your gut. You know, yeah. I was like, at the end of the we can talk we can work it all out when you get home. We could work it all out when we come back together, but at the end of the day, get right. out of your head, get into your gut. Yes. And go with it. And um so, yeah. and kind it's of so like true. that sense of safety and how that sense of safety comes from within and also how we get it or we have it or are more in touch with it when we're children. And it's yeah. something that gets stolen from us. Totally. And, you totally know, like it's, it's taken from us. And it made me feel like, how do we rest? <laughs> you know, like how do we as as people, as Black people, as people call it, oppressed people, how do we rest without feeling safe? Mm-hmm. And so I'm really excited to get into it with you because you have figured this, like, <laughs> I, I'm not going to say you figured it out, but because we're all like, evolving Uh in works in progress but what i do think is that you've you've developed as you call it a ministry around it right like Mm -hmm. a practice um and a guiding principle and so i guess you know my first question for you is around how did you develop your understanding of the importance of rest
3: yeah i mean like most uh black women you know who and most people who are um in situations where there's um a foot on their neck, there's oppression around them, they, they're they do-it-yourself. They experiment and they DIY. They react and respond based on their everyday lived experience about what's going on. You know, every single thing around any type of justice work or justice um, movements is always from a people, from an individual, from a collective group of people who are saying something doesn't feel right. Um, I don't know what it is that we got to get to, but it ain't this, you know? And so you, you kind of like are reacting to your everyday lived experience. And so the Nat ministry really just started off as an experiment with me being a black exhausted woman in a white world, you know? And so I just, I just, I just use my senses, use my grandmother's senses. My senses of my mother taught me my do it yourself on the ground make things work, figure it out, experiment. Could this work? Could that work? And I just pulled together all of my training from 20 years of being a community activist and organizer and being an experimentator, being an escape artist. You know, I always like to say that I'm an escape artist, like I'm a performance artist, but I'm an escape artist because I've been trained by my grandmother, who was a, both my grandmothers who were refugees from Jim Crow terrorism in the South and left. The South during the great migration of the 40s and 50s with millions of other Black people who were like, um, I, This is my home down here, but if I see my uncle or someone lynched one more time, I cannot take it. I gotta go. You know, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm getting on a bus and I'm headed north. I'm headed west. I'm headed, I got to get up out of here. And so I think that do it yourself. I gotta go. I gotta react. I gotta make a way out of no way. I gotta invent. I gotta remix you know, all of those powers in me, I got to escape. I got to be an artist in how I escape. I got to be, you know, subversive and stealth and I have to try things out because my living is too important to me to not try. And so I was in a moment and I was super exhausted at a predominantly white institution in the Masters of Divinity program, getting my graduate studies there. Um, Black Lives Matter was heating up at the moment. This was in 2013 when I started. Um, All of the lynchings on TV were constant. If you go back to 2013 and look at the timeline of Black Lives Matter, um, all of the killings, Eric Garner, and um, we were right off the killings of Trayvon Martin. Like, it was just so much happening in that movement. Um, The movement has since been very developed and refined, but if you're going back to 2012, 2013, it was really the beginning of all of that. And, um of people seeing it on tv of people putting a name to it of it wasn't the beginning of uh police killing black people but it was the beginning of a movement in the swell when you think of the black lives matter um um, movement and what a beautiful and powerful movement it was and is um and so i was in school like going through it you know i was really literally about to just quit school it was like i can't take this i'm out um I'm gonna find a job, I'm gonna just, I can't deal with this. And um, instead of doing that, something spoke in me and said, um, just keep going to class. You know, you've already paid for the semester. Just keep going to class and get the attendance credit in, in the graduate program I was in. I was we would get there. I had classes starting at eight in the morning and they wouldn't I wouldn't be done with classes because I had an internship that was part of my um, studies and I also was working. So I wouldn't be home sometimes to after midnight and I was up for another three hours studying. So I was having this six in the morning to three AM, almost twenty hours, you know, of me every day grinding, hustling, trying to make a way, being treated um, in a way that I didn't feel like I was being seen on I right mean
1: it I just want to say I'm sitting here. I'm listening to you. yeah, and I the who I know you to be right now, the yeah. fact that that was your life yeah. sounds crazy to me.
3: I was
1: like I'm like I've been I feel like I've been, you know not wanting to do this like work thing and like not engaging in this idea of hard work forever. I didn't have a like you' like i like I didn't have a ministry around it. Mm-hmm. But it's so interesting to hear you talking because this is like a shift.
3: Oh, yeah, it was a full shift. I always have before I went to school. I think it's a shift um, for me because what the life that I was living is the life that most black people are living. You know, my, my dad was living like this. My dad was up at five in the morning working, trying to make a living, you know, my, trying to eat. My mother, your mother, my grandmother, they were all working two, three jobs. And so. This is the life of oppressed people in America under capitalism and under white supremacy. You're just trying to eat. You're trying to live. You're trying to live, eat and live your dreams, eat and go to school, work and go to school. Kids got to do this. Like you're juggling so much that the pace becomes so normalized. It becomes like, oh, that's just what you do. But when you really break it down and see what the hours were, it's really insane that your body, that you're pushing your body to that level of demand, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for years, but it's very much like what was happening to our ancestors on plantations in the South, and so that's what really started to ground me is that I just started coming to school, going for the attendance credit and then resting all over campus. I would nap everywhere. Wow full on sleep. I was like, I'll get the attendance credit because at least they won't kick me out because I'm not doing nothing in class, but I'll get an attendance credit because I showed up. I'm listening to the lecture. I'm there. But I was so burnt out and so just distressed that I, I was in class crying. I was come. I'm coming to school a day after Eric Garner was killed and being in class and people are talking about the history of something. I'm just like, like tears are in the, in my eyes, and I just was up all night crying, you know, wondering, just just so worried about my son and my husband and other black men and black women in my life. It was just like, I was really frightened, you know. It was a lot going on with that, and just seeing someone after the um when he was murdered, and then after the acquittal, and they, they didn't get any time, and it was like wow, you can really just lynch and kill someone on camera and then nothing happens. And I and I, I saw that. And so that really bothered me that people were able to go on and that te- no one was talking about in class. Nobody was saying nothing. I was like, what what is this world we're living in? And so I slept everywhere. I was working in the archives, um, studying plantation labor. I was in the South. So I was able to get my hands on documents that most people probably couldn't work in the archives. I was getting... Um, the books and the invoices from plantations, actual original documents where people had, um, sl- people who owned slaves had wrote fifty dollars for um about fifty dollars for a black child, and then a hundred dollars for a horse. So I was like, a horse was worth more than a black child. I, I was able to see original handwritten documents from plantations here in Georgia, you know and th- that were wow. You know, it was like, I was digging deep into my ancestor history and I was like, wow, I started sleeping and napping all over that campus. And I just started to make better connections between my work. I started to feel better. I started to be able to connect with my ancestors. I was getting dreams and having dreams about resting and um, rep- I was studying reparations theory. So I guess it is important to know when I was in seminary, my main research interests were um, black liberation theology Reparations theory, cultural trauma, and also womanism and somatics. I was taking a lot of somatics classes with my body and moving. And Can and you explain?
1: Going. See, I, you got to explain what somatics is. Like yeah, pe, we, somatics the people, is people don't be- know. People don't know. You got to tell Somatics
3: is such a beautiful art. It's the art of like the mind body connection, it's the connection between what's happening in our bodies and how we connect that to our mind, um, how our body holds trauma. I was studying cultural trauma. So I was wondering. What does our body hold? What is the trauma that is held in our bodies that we don't talk about? I was studying um, and interviewing Jim Crow survivors. I was interviewing people who had survived Jim Crow, wondering what it felt like to hold trauma in your bodies. And when you were walking, how you moved your body if you saw a white person and what inside the bodies and the tissues and the connections and how all of that was held. Because we don't talk... um, about the trauma we talk about the trauma of terrorism of white supremacy slavery jim crow terrorism the, all of that but we don't talk about like what really how that is sitting in our bodies and so i was reading this book called the body keeps score it's this um beautiful book i think it's a, a really um foundational book around P- ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder a guy um Who is a psychologist, studied it in Vietnam veterans. And then so he kind of is the beginning um, of talking about what PTSD is. And so he talks a lot about how the body keeps score. You know, the body is always holding. Even if you want to forget, if your memory, your cultural memory wants to forget, your body will never forget it. And so I was like tapping into the energy of the semantics of my body and what was happening on slave plantations to my our ancestors like what was their life like i was reading slave narratives and learning about their day to day details of their lives the things that you don't hear about when you are a historian and you study slavery you hear about you know the brutality what was happening but i wanted to know the micro details of what was happening in their lives so i needed to read their own words i needed to dig deep into their narratives and I was learning all these things that I never knew that women would give birth in the fields. Um, the midwife would take the baby and then they would keep going back. They would go back into the field the same day and pick because they had 500 pounds to pick, be able to reach their um, quota for the day or there would be violence. So I'm thinking to myself, damn, you know, I've given birth. I could barely even <laughs> lift my hand and put ice in my mouth. And these, they're like back in the field in rural Georgia in 100 degree heat working bleeding, you know, it, it just took me, it just, it just bath, it took my breath away to know that. It took my breath away. They were working 20 hour days um, every day, you know, up at sun, wouldn't go, wouldn't be done until they got, and then I also wanted to see what 500 pounds of cotton look like. So I use cotton a lot in my art installations. And so I, I got a photo and was able to work with a farmer and see what 500 pounds looks. And it's like, it's like a heap. It's like as big as the front porch of a house. It goes way up and they had to pick that in one day.
1: And couldn't rest on it.
3: mm What you had that was that was your quota every day, every single day. And so it's it's a lot. And so I was like just putting all those things together. And because I was experimenting with rest in my own body, I wondered to myself, how could I bring this to more people? Could other people be healed by this resting? Could we um, really communicate with our ancestors? Could this be a remembrance for them? Because I was like, they didn't get to rest. It was stolen from them. This dream space was stolen from them that they could have went to and, and rested and healed and worked things out. I was like, maybe I can reclaim it for them in this dimension, so I'll rest for them. And so it just became this personal experiment with my own body.
1: I just love the way you talk about dimensions, like just like just weaving it into our like regular conversation because when we first met I like we sat down next to each other at Girl Trek which is yes. amazing um I loved it. We love Girl Trek um and they have something called a stress protest um every, annually and both of us got to be there and we ended up sitting next to each other and when I sat next to you and you started talking about I was like oh what well, you know what are you doing here and <laughs> you know I'm like I'm here talking about how we need to like Baby, you sure know is. ease off these kids and you're like great. I'm here talking about like how we need to sit down. And where I saw <laughs> the connection right away was this idea of like, we think as black people, as oppressed people, the way to get to this freedom, yeah, the way to like honor our ancestors, the way to push forward is around going to school, Mm-hmm. Working hard and your success will come. You're yeah. like you will ascend to. They don't. We don't think. We no. No one would say this. Well, you will ascend to whiteness. You know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. will get to the thing. And the way you're going to get there is through hard work. And we drill this into our children. Like we yes. drill it into them. Like get those grades. Do this thing. Go to school. Work. You know. Stay you up, can, yeah. You, you, you can't
3: stay up all night. Yeah. Can't, you can You mm-hmm. can't sit.
1: You can't sit down. And part of what I'm hoping to communicate and like think so strongly about mm-hmm. is like first of all nobody's doing that people who have the power <laughs> in this country are not busting it like are not working the hardest you know what no, I mean they're not they're to not. get there they have inherited it and it is their birthright and they just live in that thing yeah and the idea what you brought to the table and kind of this idea of, like actually, resting is real liberation like yes. having giving yourself permission to listen mm-hmm. to your body and yes. to do what you think you need when you need it that is that is real liberation yeah i just felt like there was a, a, such this like connection of like yes you know those are the dots and those ideas of that as oppressed people we really don't know how to do that no we don't Never know how count. And, you know, especially what you were speaking to, all of the horrific um, things that we have to experience um, as oppressed people, how you're never feeling safe. Yeah. And how the heck are you supposed to like rest when you got to be with the swivel? You know, like <laughs> you got to mm-hmm. have your head on mm-hmm. a swivel ready at all times. And it makes me think of our children and how we are training them. Yep. To have their head on a swivel all the time and kind of like, it's almost like we are having them live the oppression yes. even within spaces where they should feel safe
3: mm-hmm.
1: in an attempt to protect them from the oppression. And so, you know, you know, one of the things that you just mentioned about yourself moving around that campus and deciding that you are going to rest. Yeah. Um. I wonder how do you talk to your son mm-hmm. about that same idea?
2: Yeah.
1: Because as an educator, I've worked in many, you know, schools, and the idea of a yeah. child being asleep or falling asleep, when you find a child sleeping, you know, at in different spaces, it's either, like, something's not right at home. You know, the thought that, that the administrators, teacher, like, something's not right at home. Right. Or that child's lazy and we need to wake them up. Yeah. You know, we're at, you know, and I'm always so excited, like at the free school, I'm always excited when we find a child falling asleep or asleep because it's like, oh, they feel safe enough feel here safe. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. to
1: rest. Um, So I wonder, does your... Mm -hmm. son feels safe enough to rest in his spaces or how do you talk about that he's
3: definitely a rester he loves when he was little he used to do this thing um he he made up this word called comfy cozy he was like i want to get comfy cozy with you he liked the word comfortable and cozy where he would like get a blanket and cuddle up. He calls it comfy cozy. <laughs> so he's always been about like chillaxing. He calls it like chill and relax. He's like, I want to chillax, mommy. He's about laying out. I'm like, I remember once I'm like, you want to go um go for a ride with me and go do some run some air? He was like, no, I'm relaxing right now. So he's all about relaxing and laying back and resting. I let him, if he's up late for a paper, I let him, um I say, don't worry about that paper, go to bed. I'm not, I'm not, not teaching him those habits of staying up late to finish papers and, you know, coming home directly and just getting into homework or getting up, um, super early and stuff. I'm like, you can sleep in, you know, you can rest in, you, you'll get your work done when it's time to get it done. So I'm really teaching him around the concept of creating balance in his life, you know, slowing down, you know meditating, doing art, you know, really listening to yourself because you mentioned something about this concept of intuition. And I know that is something I talk a lot about with the nap ministry is that our dream space has been stolen. And I, if you believe that, like I do, that rest and napping and sleeping is a portal for healing. It's a third space that you can go into. It's a new, another dimension where you can go and work things out. You can invent, you can create, you can get a word from God, get a word from your ancestors, it's a whole nother uh, space that we can go into, then you be- also believe that we need to go there often. And so um, you have to reimagine what you think rest and napping and sleep is, because if you believe it to be that, you would never say you d- didn't want to do it. You know, you'd be like, I want to go there because I believe there's something waiting for me in that dream space that's going to help me in this world. And so I always like try to help people, especially children, reimagine that, That place you're going into is a place of production. It's a generative space. You know, it's a space you can generate and work things out and you can just heal and be. And so it's so
1: interesting. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. Yeah, Yeah, I think think our
3: intuition has been our intuition, our imagination has been stolen based because of white supremacy and capitalism. And we're not resting. once, yeah, if, if you rest, so resting can get us back in tune and in touch with our intuition and our imagination to know what is best, to listen to our bodies, to imagine what could be for ourselves. Once you've taken those things from people, you have them. They're done. That's what I think oppression is. It's the stealing of our imagination, of Absolutely. our hope, and our intuition. Absolutely. You know?
1: Hi, Blue. Hi, Mom. You did something the other day that, I, that you haven't done And you talked about it, which is take a nap. Oh Oh my gosh, you took a nap. You Took a nap because I wanted to think about something. For
2: when I wake up, I like my dreams like fade into daydreams, and then I'm awake. And it takes some time, and I'll be thinking about something, and then I'll like like be awake. It's like okay, now I can get. I'll get up now. Or sometimes I will just stay and to think about it more. And when I get up, all that thing will be in the back of my mind. I'm just like, what if I just like lied in Moxie's bed because there's natural light there and that's where she is. Mm-hmm. Just lie in the bed. Just lie there and just think quietly. Like let's nap. And that's what a nap is. And I never realized that before. And it's amazing. I get why Moxie's taking them all the time now. It really just like centers yourself and it allows it just allowing yourself to be with yourself. Which I think, if you're scared of yourself, you can't really. It's hard to do. Mm-hmm. But I don't fear myself anymore, mm-hmm. so I get
1: to just be with myself. You're amazing. So yay, you I definitely. should fear yourself. Are you gonna? Do you have like another nap plan?
2: <sighs> I like soon. I think <laughs> it just comes to you. It's just like, you're just like, I have nothing to do right now. It's like, what if I just took a nap? Wow it's also an amazing thing to think about that i get to make that choice right now just like i could choose to just take a nap if i wanted to
1: Mm. and just be able to
2: like sit in that Mm
1: -hmm. and how
2: good that feels Mm
1: -hmm.
2: it's like when you think you have something to do and they're just like no i haven't had anything like i had to do in like a long time and even when i do have stuff to do it's really just like take your sisters outside
1: It's kind of a gift of one of those gifts of coronavirus.
2: Yes. Like, I have nothing to do, nowhere to be. And I probably won't have anywhere to be for, like, a while. So you don't have to worry about that. And I think that is also part of why I've been able to let go of my anxiety. Mm. Because anxiety is, it took me a while to find this out, but anxiety is a fear of the future. Mm -hmm. And when you can't see a real future, your anxiety becomes less of, fear something that you know will happen and more of a fear of your wildest imagination Mm -hmm. and then you just get to think to yourself no we don't know what's going to happen and no one knows what's going to happen
1: no one knows no one
2: knows and i like i had this thought the other day as it's like the future is a place that you will never have to go Mm -hmm. because you will always be in the present Mm -hmm. whether it's tomorrow or wednesday or a month from now When you are there, it will be the present. Mm -hmm. So the fear you are having is not a fear that comes from something that you can see.
1: Wait, and you got all of this from napping?
2: I know. It's so cool. Naps are magical things. No one's talking about this. Baby's got it right, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I think, you know, what I'm really so committed to helping us see is how we are doing it to our children ourselves. As you were talking, I was like, as I was, you know, thinking about the fact that we're going to get talking, I immediately went to like, not like putting my children to sleep. And, (laughs) you know, and like, when they were young and like new and toddlers, and you like, trying to figure out ski- sleep schedules. Like there's the oh, pressure yeah. to figure out sleep schedule because you trying to get rest and like, how are they going to rest? And I've done everything under the sun, yeah. um, sleep with me, for mm. like like um, cried, all of the things, all of the things. And I've, you know, I and now as an adult thinking about when I feel the most comfortable sleeping is when I feel safe and how many of those trainings is about, taking away that sense of safety from children yeah,
2: and thinking yes. it's going to
1: get them to sleep. Right. Where really what we're teaching them, I hear people say it all the time, like a kid will be sleepy at six o'clock, but they can't go to sleep at six o'clock because they go to sleep at six o'clock, they're going to be up and they're not going right. to sleep at eight. So they're going to stay up and they're going to be exhausted. Yeah, And that's when they will rest. And I mean,
3: I, t- I totally... I- Totally they did it as a parent. That. The pediatricians teach you that, like when you're having children, like mm-hmm.
1: yeah, just keep them up. So when they're exhausted and they pass out, then you're gonna get a re- they're gonna get real good sleep, and you'll Which get real horrible. good sleep. Yeah. And now yeah. I think about it as an adult, and now I'm mad at my kids mm-hmm. because I'm always like, "Is why won't you go to sleep right now?" And they're like, "Cause I'm not exhausted. I still got a little." I, and and the exhaustion mm. is like such a disconnect from your body. It's Absolutely. like you know, like when you, it's almost like hunger. When you feel hungry, you should have probably eaten an hour ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and and we've trained so children. Starving, yeah. mm-hmm. starving is when you eat. Exhausted is when you sleep. Yeah. And then you don't remember. You wake up like you. That kind of like I slept so I slept so hard. I don't even remember dreaming. Yeah, it's like that's the goal. It's we're this
3: an abusive act. cycle of how we work with our bodies because we're not listening to our bodies. We're ignoring our bodies. We're not listen to our intuition. It's it's as simple as just listening to your bodies, but capitalism doesn't care about our bodies. They don't want us to listen to our bodies. They steal that from us very early. White supremacy doesn't care about our bodies unless it's being a tool for their production, unless it's being a tool and a help to their ends. And so that's the resistance part. That's why this rest is resistance movement is so real. People think it's, it's just about naps. It's, this is about more than naps. It's about pushing back and disrupting toxic systems that don't allow us, don't see the divinity in us as humans. You know, like pushing back against our natural state, like. Rest is not a privilege. Rest is not a luxury. Rest is a right. Is that's it? It's a divine right. And I'm so tired of people saying rest is such a privilege. It's just a privilege and a luxury to rest. The more we say that and think that that is true, the more we are allowed white supremacy and capitalism to not be um, illuminated, to not be called out, to not be like spoken out against. Like, no, this is the problem. It's not this. It's capitalism and white supremacy. It's not. Any of those other things. So they continue to be able to slide underneath the radar, and we continue to, as ourselves to internalize the bullshit and say to us, Oh, it's me. I have burnout. It's me. I, you know, I got to grind. I got to do this. When it's really, you're not calling out the systems for what they're doing to us. You're continuing to like internalize it as something that's your fault. And so I want us to like start really looking at these systems and looking at how to dismantle, disrupt and push back against them.
1: I heard you say earlier, you're talking um, about your son and this idea that what you are training, like how you are approaching being community with him uh, around school and around the things Mm -hmm. they do is like finding balance um, and how he can like, teaching him to listen to himself and respecting when he needs rest and you respect when he needs rest um, and what is required of him in the larger world. And Mm. I've gotten to a space, you know, where I'm not trying to find balance anymore necessarily with my, like myself in the larger world or asking my children to figure out balance between themselves and large. It's like, abandoning it, <laughs> you know, like, and, mm-hmm. and I know you can't, I know that is like, I know that's a privilege to even like consider. And I also mm-hmm. know that it's not something that might not even be possible. Like we may aspire to it, but it may not be something that we're able to bring into fruition just because the powers that be in, and, and what we, but we're, I'm trying to figure it out about it in myself and our own bodies. And I wonder around how you, figure out how you're talking to your son or how you even think about the balance Mm -hmm. between what you know to be true as far as the importance of rest, the importance of like rejecting what white supremacy calls us to do and the fact that he lives in the world. He goes to school. Mm-hmm. You know, like everybody's not, they don't want, like, you can't fall asleep here. I imagine no one's happy. You know, like, mm-hmm. my mama's, well, my mama is the nap bishop and she said, you know, this, mm-hmm. no, no, no one wants to hear that. Um, And I'm wondering, like, how how does that work? And maybe it's not even necessarily just school. Maybe it's, you know, family members. Maybe it's other people in your community, but how do you balance what you know so clearly to be true and what is in
3: the world? I mean, I think that's the question of any person who lives in this world? If you live in the Western world, you're always going to have to be um, being subversive and inventive, and being an escape artist, and con- you know, continuing to like create. I mean, this is the the beauty of our ancestors, who were the most inventive, subversive people, to be able to like remix oppression and, and get be given something and come out of it with some joy. You know, and always trying to like center themselves around joy. And so when I talk about Um, the lineage of the transatlantic slave trade and from slavery and from you know Jim Crow like I'm proud to be from that lineage of people who were uh, master magicians and inventors and subversive people who figure some shit out and so I don't never want to lose that I don't never want to become to the point of where I'm just so like trying to not like uphold that and, and, and gain balance and power from that warrior like strength from that and it doesn't and it can be very um soft too it's a soft and tender way it's a way of just knowing and listening to self and and, and centering yourselves around their stories and listening to what your body wants and also looking at the collective looking at how you you're never alone. Like you as one individual person, I tell my son, you're one individual person, but there's so many collective people around you who are known and unknown, who made you who you are. And so I really try to help him see the world from the balance. Like you're going to have to, now you're going to become an ancestor at one point, you know, you'll be a good ancestor at at one. So so what are the ways and the things that you can connect with your ancestors to build you up and never want to get rid of that fighting spirit? Like, um, People are always like, you know, we're never going to be able to um, be away from that. And I, I take it and gain strength from the subversive nature of my ancestors and what they were doing on the slide, what they were slickly creating and stealthily Building and behind the scenes, you're going to always have to be working in that way. I don't care where you go in the world. Like, this is white supremacy is global, unless you're Mm. trying to move to a black planet like Sunrise, which I would love to do. I would love to get on my spaceship and get the hell up out of here. (laughs) Unless (laughs) Unless you, Sunrise, you on that black planet and on some Afrofuturism, which is, I really love and I and very influenced by it with, um, the that ministry influenced by Afrofuturism, unless we're on that, we're gonna always have to be gaining strength through trying to find balance in a way that looks like what we want and what's best for our people and ourselves and what they want, and so, Um, I don't want to ever bow down to what they want. So that's why I'm always talking about the resistance, how resting is a resistance that people have never thought about. They would have never thought that resting is actually a way to resist this bullshit. We think the way to resist it is to work harder and you can't, you know, do that. That's Audre Lorde's quote one-on-one. You can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools, you know, you just can't do it. And so to continue to keep trying to do it is pretty much just, running yourself ragged and I'm not um, signing up for that at all.
1: I mean, you it know? just, it it makes, yeah, it makes no sense. This I, this idea that you're going to work your way out of like oppression. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're going to work your way out of oppression. I think it's so helpful that we're not teaching our children that, that, that lie. Because then, right. you know, that like, you feel like there's some ways in which you are complacent within your own oppression. Um, I just finished watching um the becoming documentary by oh Mich- yeah i watched Michelle. that yesterday too oh good so we can talk about it a little second and so <laughs> i was like watching it and i was like like surprised by how much i was moved um and how you know these women were in care of each other and i'm like sitting there, i'm like okay good you know like there's not a lot of respectability some of it but i like i can put it at at, mm-hmm, you know I can mm-hmm. like measure it a little bit and towards the end of it she makes this quote and I don't know if it's taken out of context but it is in the movie where yeah. she says we the reason why she alludes to or she she says like black people did not show up midterms or to the polls yes. in 2016 and that's why we're here this is why we're where we are now it. I,
3: I was, was... completely appalled (laughs) i I, I couldn't believe that she was like blaming black people for who who couldn't get up and and get enough strength to get up and go vote like what are you talking like but it wasn't surprising because there that's the system you know to be a part of the political system at that level you got to buy into it you know so yes Mm -hmm.
1: and i pre exactly what you're saying i like i i knew that in my head but it was heartbreaking Mm. it broke my heart because this is such You have such a huge platform. And if this message that we keep telling Mm -hmm. black children, black people around like, what you need to do is more. And if you do more, this will shift and change. When in actuality, we need to be magicians. We need to be escape mm-hmm. artists. We mm-hmm. need to be subversive. We need to go to other dimensions. Yeah. We need to figure out how we elevate ourselves.
3: We community, we communally, collective, get together. Like we're not going to do this alone. No, and, we and are not. And what I was thinking to myself is like, what? you know, I voted in every election since I turned 18. My dad has vote, was voting in every election since he could vote. Ain't not, has anything changed? So to, to 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 lift up voting as the only way to like move change, to lift up going into their voting booth to as the only way that we can really move things to me was like, um, no, because did you forget about the um, concept of the, you know, the electoral college? You forget about other politics that they have. Politrics. Like, I love well, that yeah, it's, it's not a, Like we all know that voting is a one way to work within this system. But voting also is not the be all end all to people creating some type of lasting change for their communities. Like, I mean, I don't even understand like why it's being held up as such. It's like just ludicrous to believe that voting is the way that we're going to get to our freedom.
1: And I I mean, I... Definitely appreciate so much of what you're putting out in the world. I hope that through you being on this particular podcast, that message gets like filtered down to how we parent and mm-hmm. how we engage with our children and recognize how important it is that they have moments where they're doing nothing and nothing yes. is being asked of them. Mm-hmm. Um And, like, that is true liberation. Like, you spoke earlier around this idea of the arts and how Mm -hmm. what a blessing you feel like it is that your child can, like, know that when he wants to embrace the art, is going to be met with good. You know, like, do you? And I, too, you know what I mean? I, too, am um, raising artists. And what I recognize is that they need a lot of downtime, they need a lot Mm -hmm. of time where they're in their head and they are practicing thinking about what they're about to create. And so I want to ask you one last thing before we end, because we are in the midst of this pandemic, Yeah, which I, um, (laughs) you know, I keep thinking about the gifts that Corona is trying to give me. Mm
3: -hmm. And
1: I'm wondering for you, what are the gifts that you think Corona is trying to give you or trying Mm -hmm. to give all of us?
3: Yes. I think Corona is trying to give us um, the opportunity to um, really see the illusion of grind culture, the illusion of hustle culture, to see all these things that we were like really connecting our entire lives to, how much we make, how much we produce, how many jobs we can have, how much we can get done. Um, All of that, there's like these little small cracks In the veil that's happening for us you know grind culture is slowing down so people are being forced to really see that all these things that you were like really deeply deeply attached to deeply aligned to are really not real they're not true and um there's giving people opportunity to see a little bit of the reality of what's really happening and i think that's so important because I always talk about resting and sleeping, allowing you to wake up, allowing you to see what's really happening, that silence, that um, resting, that napping, prayer, things like that are all veil busters. They um, remove the veils from our eyes to see what's really going on. And to me, that sight, that insight, having sight like that is really so important for us as um oppressed people and, and as of people who are in the world trying to like make it free like we're trying to liberate each other and ourselves like to really have insight to see what's really what the fuck is really happening you know like i think we're like zombied and zombified we don't really know what's happening we're just like on a a roll this thing of go, go 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 get up work grind but for that to stop and you for to have a moment to you to be like oh man Okay, what's really happening? You know, like what's what is really going on behind the scenes? It's allowing people to peek in. And I want and you can't get in there and peek around and really like process it if you're exhausted. And so I I want coronavirus is really helping people to like take this as an opportunity to slow down. It is not the time to be trying to be more extra productive it's really the time to like take the opportunity to have this insight to like process and to see what's really happening.
1: I want to just thank you so much for being on the podcast, um sharing your ministry with us. Um I think what I'm like leaving our conversation with is this idea of dreaming and how yeah. you have to make the space to dream.
3: Absolutely. And
1: that's how we're going to envision um yes. what's coming. Thank you. Bye my okay, love. Then. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Take care. Part of what being in Amsterdam and just away from so many things that are pulling at me is I get to decide when I wake up and when I go to sleep. And I haven't realized that I have not decided when I wake up and when I go to sleep, like my whole life, maybe on vacation, but really like consistently and for a sustained amount of time, that has not been my truth. And I would think maybe it's the kids that are making it happen because they get up and I got to get up. Or maybe it's just my natural rhythm. I'm a morning person. And then I realize now that actually the kids are all right. They're on my rhythm. We're in the same space. We function in the same way. And really what was making me get up and go to sleep and controlling this very personal part of my life was the oppression that I was under. <laughs> like the world that I lived in controlled something as personal as my body's rhythm. And now that I am just beginning to reclaim my body and how it moves and when it moves and, and when it wakes and when it eats and when it like when it does whatever it wants to do. I can never give it up. <laughs> like I, I, don't, I don't know what that means for me in the world and how I'm gonna function, but it is true, 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 true freedom.
2: and
3: fighting.
1: This podcast was produced by Domino Sound.
3: Why not just get together and live in one love and one identity, you know? Rip.